11, thank you for that. Um, although Nathan and I can match it, we're doing these announcements left hand only. <laughs> Good morning and welcome. <laughs> Welcome to our 830 service on this, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. It's good to be together in God's house. A uh, good group here in person. We know many, many more joining us online. It's good to worship God together in this way. Some of you are visiting with us. We're honored that you've come. Uh, we hope that all of you, but especially if you're visiting, will sign the attendance pad or there's a QR code. I'm sticking with the one hand. I'm proud so far. It's hard for me. Uh, there's a QR code at the back of the bulletin. If you share an email address, phone number, we can contact you. We can begin the process of befriending one another. That would be uh, an absolutely uh, wonderful thing. So uh, I'm James Howell. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Nathan Arledge. Yeah, it's so good to be here with you this morning. I want to draw your attention to the bulletin. Um, a lot of great ways to get plugged in. One of those is by being an usher or a greeter. You've come into our space this morning and somebody has greeted you. We need more of that. We need more of you to be plugged in in that capacity. At 1215 in room 103, you can go through a training um, for what that means. So come back for um, learning how to be an usher and greeter. We also understand that a lot of us go through difficult times. A lot of us have struggles and anxieties and stresses on our lives. And so we're having a small group begin September 13th at 11 a.m., room 104 and 105. Resources for navigating difficult times. Um, if that is something that resonates with you, please show up. And then lastly, we have an opportunity to go out into the community on September 20th, 8 to 9 a.m. at the Meadows at Plato Price. We're going to have a prayer walk through that community where we can pray at various stations and just really surround that community, really surround those neighbors of ours with prayer and God's love. And speaking of God's love, let us ready our hearts for worship.
let us continue to praise God by affirming our faith with the Apostles' Creed found on 881 of your hymnal. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let us unite our hearts and our voices as we offer before one another and to God our confession. Let us pray. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. Hear the good news that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The epistle reading is Romans chapter 13, beginning with the eighth verse. Owe no one anything except to love one another. 
For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what hour it is, how it is full time now for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and lasciviousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. This is the word of God for the people of God. We, uh, we read the Bible in church. We're getting ready to uh, give Bibles to our third graders. They're excited about it. Uh, we'll have a baptism later. Something we believe in the church is that God's Word and God's sacrament, they have a power that we don't always notice that maybe we take for granted. Uh, I personally have proof of this. Um, last week, there were some people that were, um, you know, trash-talking me uh, because my hometown Gamecocks had lost to the North Carolina Tar Heels and the, the Tar Heels are going to beat Duke later on, and they have a quarterback who they think is going to win the Heisman Trophy named Drake May. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm pulling for Drake May to win the Heisman Trophy. Do you know why? It turns out that Drake May is a baptized United Methodist. <laughs> and he's not just any baptized United Methodist. These hands were laid on Drake May. <laughs> That's why he's so good. Nobody's thanked me, though. God's Word has a kind of power. Sometimes it's a tipping point. A verse like Romans 1.17 changed everything for Martin Luther, for our founder, John Wesley. Uh, sometimes people do this thing where uh, they decide they're seeking God's will, will open the Bible wherever it lands. There can be some crazy ways that unfolds. <laughs> but it's dangerous. I ask you not to try that because, you know, St. Francis of Assisi did that before he was saint. Francis. He went to the priest and said, open the Bible at random and whatever it says, that will be God's will. The priest opens it and says, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And Francis did. St. Augustine, Augustine became St. Augustine. He wasn't yet. He was a mess when he did the same thing. He was praying in the garden of a friend named Olypius, and he was in total agony. And uh, he decided to do the same thing. He heard a little voice saying, read, re pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. There was a Bible there. He picked it up, decided he would just open it at random. And it came to this passage that Ellen just read to us. It's time to wake from sleep, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul and a great many passages uh, in the New Testament say that, like, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. I think it's especially designed for people to come to the 830 service. It's early. You've got to 
wake up. The images that we're sort of sleepwalking through life, we, we, we'd prefer to doze, we, we, we're, we're kind of drowsy, we, we'd, we'd really rather stay in bed and we'd stay attached to our dream world. Paul says it's time to wake up, to be awakened to God, to be awakened to your true self in God's eyes, to be awakened to the power of God which can make so many wonderful changes, such gifts of joy in your life. I read recently that uh, Tim Keller, the conservative evangelical pastor, died recently. Brilliant man. He said the summits that we take, we, we take for granted in our culture, and, and it's just not biblical, and it's just not theologically sound. For instance, you have all these kind of truisms that say you have to be true to yourself. You're free to live as you choose. Do what makes you happiest. Everyone has a right to decide what's right. <laughs> He says, this is not in the Bible, and it's not actually good for your soul. It's not that you're free to do as you wish. You, you, you exist for God. That, that's like a higher life. You exist for God. And they had to put it, uh, the spiritual life is, I'm doing this uh, How to Be Spiritual series. You could sum it up, and it's just awakening to the reality of God and then becoming deferential to God. I want to be awakened to God, but then I always in my life want to be deferential to God. And if I'm deferential to God, then I begin to be awakened to other people, and I become deferential to other people. I was remembering this week when uh, my son Noah was a boy, I was trying to teach him, like, you know, hold the door for people, don't take the last biscuit, just how to have good manners. One day, just in exasperation, he said to me, Dad, I can't remember all these manners rules. There are just too many of them. I said, son, there is one rule only. And that one rule is always defer to the other person. Don't take the last biscuit. Open the door. Yield your seat. It seems like good manners, but it's actually uh, really good Christian ethics, isn't it? It's the way God calls us to live. Paul says uh, what we owe. What do we owe? He's not thinking about um, taxes. You owe your taxes. He said the one thing that we are owed is love. Love, love for God, love for others. Put on the Lord Jesus, love. Romans chapter 13. Let me tiptoe into some dangerous territory here. My question is, uh, could uh, this text, could the Bible, could God have some power among us, especially when it comes to quarreling and jealousy? Americans are devoured by quarreling and jealousy. People are always telling me about some family member, some former ex-friend that they used to have, and they have quarreling and jealousy, and it's hard to talk. Being awakened, I thought about it uh, when I saw the text for today. It says, time to wake, and I thought about the word woke. A candidate for president recently said that being woke is a virus more dangerous than any pandemic. And I get the tension going on here. Isn't it the case that around a word like woke, half of Americans look at the other half of Americans and say, you are so unenlightened. What is wrong with you? And then the other people look back and say, you guys are carrying everything too far. It's just absurd. We don't know how to talk to each other. The people that say, you are so unenlightened, they would point to Romans 13 and says, it's good to be woke. Paul says that you should wake from sleep. But is that what he had in mind? Because we're eaten up by so much anger and blame. There's very little action. There's not much love. 
Paul says what is due, what is owed, is love. Love God, love others. As uh, Jim Wallace put it, uh, our goal really isn't to find common ground, but it's to find higher ground. Let me suggest a couple ways maybe to find some uh, higher ground. How do we love God and others? Uh, I read something in the Wall Street Journal last, uh, last weekend. Uh, Tina Deskovich, who was one of the leaders of Moms for Liberty, uh, was complaining because her child came home from school with a uh, wanted poster. And the poster said, wanted Christopher Columbus for crimes against humanity. What do you do with that? I had kids, by the way, come home from school with things that made me crazy. Every one of my children at some point came home with a spelling list of words to learn with a, with a misspelled word. <laughs> Noah came home from Myers Park High School one day and the teacher had given a lecture that was basically regurgitating the Da Vinci Code that the Gospels were just made up later by the Emperor Constantine. I'm like, why is he hearing this at Myers Park High School? So that goes on. But the whole thing about Christopher Columbus, I mean, I thought about it. You could just as easily say wanted Moses and Joshua for crimes against humanity. Like, if Moses hadn't brought the Israelites there, and if Joshua hadn't taken them into the land, we wouldn't have this mess that we have in the Middle East now, would we? You see how that works? And what happens to us is, is we, we fall in these two camps. We want to celebrate the achievements of great people, or we want to shame the great people that were really terrible. It's always both, isn't it? All great people achieve things, and there's some dark side. Something's profoundly wrong. Every single one of us, you achieve certain things, you accomplish certain things, but something in you is also just not quite right. That's what we know in God, and it's true about every person, isn't it? And if we know that, we can love. Here's something else. In the wake of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I feel you getting nervous in your pews. I can feel it up here. People say uh, that's a political issue. I can't think of anything more profoundly theological than life, than life in the womb. I try to think how to talk about this. It's complicated, but let me try it. Nobody is for abortion. I can't find anybody who thinks, oh, abortion, that's just a great idea. Let's do that. <laughs> Nobody's for abortion. It's always tragic. Christians have every good reason, I can't think of any, any reason not to, to be pro-life. Read the Bible. God's, God's pro-life. God, God, we're pro-life, but I would say maybe without the venom, without the judgment, without the anger, we celebrate life in the womb. That's how God became flesh. Jesus entered Mary's womb. It's how you came to be. You entered your mother's womb. And the question that I have that nobody can answer is can't that be consistent with saying a woman makes her own decision about such things? It's between her and God. And to me, as the people of God, instead of trying to adjudicate that, what we would be wiser to be about is uh, not finding common ground, but finding higher ground. And what is the higher ground? Do we not recognize how we live in a grossly sexualized culture? It's just everywhere, and you take it for granted. 
it's just everywhere, TV and ads, and just a highly sexualized culture. Could we begin to be part of a movement to change that? We're not anti-pleasure. We think intimacy is a wonderful thing. Intimacy is ruined when it's squandered somewhere. I don't know how to talk about that. Someone's got to work. I, I do believe this, that outlawing abortion or maintaining the right to choose, neither of them will change hearts and minds and lives. And as Christians, aren't we charged to think not just about um, pro-life in the womb, but also what happens in life after birth? What do we do about these people once they're born? Violence is a way easier thing to uh, talk about. I do wonder, it's no one thing, so we don't actually do anything. We know it's no one thing that'll solve gun violence in our society, so, so we don't do anything. <laughs> and I wonder what are the things that we could do we live in a culture that is, uh, it's hard to watch a TV show without somebody getting shot and killed, isn't it? And, and my solution to that is like, it, you don't have to watch TV. What if, what if all the Christians in America, they're watching whatever show, when the time comes and there's somebody shoots a gun, you just turn the TV off. Or you go in a movie and you get to that point of violence, you just walk out of the theater. If every American did that, they would not serve it up to us. They would not serve it up to us. Let me mention one other thing, which is uh, race, race. I want to find a higher ground, not common ground. What is the higher ground between those who say, I'm not racist, so talk about race, that's just ancient history, let's just move on, like we, we fixed that, we've made a lot of progress. John Lewis, you know, black congressman, he even said we've made a lot of progress. You have that going on, but then you have the other people that they're all about, you know, white shame and and white guilt, which uh, coincidentally, if you're under white shame and white guilt, I can tell you that my African-American friends find that to be so exhausting. <laughs> and they just so wish white people wouldn't do it. We do it. What's the common ground? What's the higher ground? One of the verses that I think is going to be key in my How to Be Spiritual series is in Psalm 139, where the psalmist says, Lord, Search me, know my heart, see if there be anything that is awry in me. Maybe what God asks of all of us isn't to get defensive and thinking the other side is so unenlightened. But instead, all of us humbly say, search me, O oh God, is there, is there anything in me, any residual thing around race? So, Lord, heal me. Is there anything in society, shreds of racism? Well, that's an easy one. Of course there are. What can we do about that? Maybe there's even another question. Instead of just what's out there or what's in here, what's around me? How does race figure in, I don't know, my business, my family's habits, God would have us think about such things. Uh, the St. Augustine, he read this passage, he became St. Augustine, became our greatest theologian. And the center point of all of his theological work was grace, God's mercy, God's grace. I was on a panel the other day, and there were five of us, and I was in the middle of the panel. 
And the uh, questioner, these are people from different religions, and the question was, uh, talk about redemption in your religion. And the first guy said, well, in my religion, uh, when I mess up, I ask God for forgiveness, and God forgives me. And the next guy from a very different religion said, yeah, some, he picked up on the mess word. Sometimes I mess up, and, and if, if, I, if I do some penance around that and try to make it right, then, then God forgives me. So then it came to me, and I said, you know, my problem isn't so much that I mess up. My problem is I'm a mess. And the world in which I find myself is a mess. And God has mercy on me, not because I mess up and tell God that I'm sorry. God has mercy on me because I'm a mess. <laughs> and the world is a mess. We're just a mess, but, but, but God has mercy. God has healing power. God shows us a higher way. So of being stuck in the mire with everybody else all mad at each other and so on. Like, it's a mess. Of course it's a mess. I mean, where does the mercy come in? Where does the grace come in? And we're, we're not just a mess. I'm wrong to say, but I actually have two problems. One problem is that I'm a mess. My other problem, it's another M word, is I'm mortal. I'm mortal. I'm mortal. We've had some deaths in our circle recently of people that are just far too young, although everybody's always far too young, right? Melissa's grandmother died at 96. Somebody in my church said to me, that's not so bad. She made it to 96. Well, I'm sorry. We loved her. We wanted her here. She was a big deal in our lives, right? <laughs> We're all mortal, and how do we think about that? And how does the God of mercy, the God who made us, the God who wove us together, Psalm 139 in our mother's womb, how does that God think about our mortality? And the truth is that God's grace is such that God's never done loving us. God's never done hanging on to us. God is never done, done having a relationship with us. God, God's, it's God. <laughs> God's never done. It's all mercy. It's all grace. It's all so beautiful. Friends, let me say it is, it's time to wake from sleep. It's time to be awakened to God. It's time to be awakened to others. It's time to be deferential to God. It's time to be deferential to others. It's time, isn't it, for love. Let us continue in prayer. All loving God, we give thanks to be gathered as a worshiping community today. We give thanks that our church family extends both within these walls to all those connected virtually. We give thanks for the ways you have guided your church through so many changes so that we can stay connected together and worship you always. Your goodness is all around us. Lord, in your mercy. Oh Lord, as our school years are underway, we lift up our students and ask blessings on their years. May they be reminded that their belovedness is determined by your love and immeasurable grace, God, and not by grades, athletics, friendships, or extracurriculars. 
May they experience love and peace and grow closer to you this year, God. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, even in this place of worship, we admit that it is hard to quiet our minds and be present with you. We want to grow closer to you. We want to hear you. Help us to quiet our minds, slow down, and learn to see you in the world around us. We lift all our anxieties, burdens, and grief, and we lay them at your feet, O Lord. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, as we be bring before you our own sorrows, we are aware that there are those among us who are suffering. We especially lift the families of Theodore Scharfenstein and Phyllis Sphere as they mourn their earthly losses. May you be a companion to their grief in these times. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we are reminded that even in grief, there is so much hope and life all around us. Let us remember the joy of our togetherness as we pray the prayer your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we prepare for our offering, I want to give you thanks for your continued generosity that allows us to have things like small groups that are starting this week and our young adults are kicking off in the fall. You are creating spaces for people to connect, support one another, and be the church. And for that, I give thanks.
everything that is good comes from you. We offer these gifts to you. May they help us be a more faithful church. May they help us spread love in this broken world. Lord's name we pray. Amen. Church family, may we go this day being deferential to God, listening to where God would have us move, to where God would have us listen, and to where God would have us be present with and for all of our neighbors. Go now in peace.